Welcome to Battleground Politics. I'm Lauren Make. The day after House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was ousted in Washington, D.C., I thought of someone in our area who has some insight into what is happening and what could happen next. He knows the players, he knows how the House and Washington work, and sometimes how they don't. I spoke to former Republican Congressman Charlie Dent. Former Congressman Charlie Dent joins me now. He is a Republican who served seven terms in the House, representing the Lehigh Valley and parts of Berks and Montgomery counties. Welcome, Congressman. Thanks for your time. Yeah, great to be with you. Well, let's talk about uh, what is happening in Washington now. As you saw this playing out with Speaker McCarthy losing his position, uh, what was going through your mind? Well, I can't say I was completely surprised by what transpired. Um, it seemed to me that he put himself in a very weak position uh, upon his ascension to the speakership when he made a number of concessions to hardliners in the conference, whether it was to uh, uh, to reduce the, the threshold for uh, vacating the chair, that is to remove the speaker, just to one single member could move to vacate the chair. And that's what happened. Matt Gates did that. Um, that was the first concession he made to them. He made another concession, too, to put some of these hardliners on the House Rules Committee and the Appropriations Committee. He also made concessions to them uh, as when the when the budget agreement was enacted uh, at the end of May of this year in, in conjunction with the debt ceiling, uh, the speaker walked away from that very agreement after he got a lot of grief from his hardliners. And so he he walked back on that. That one, of course, enraged the Democrats. But th these are concessions he made to the hardliners who hurt him in the end. And of course, he also gave them an impeachment inquiry. He opened up an impeachment inquiry, again, to accommodate or to appease those hardliners. So you know the players yeah. who are there right now, certainly. Um, how does this go forward? Because anyone who would then take this position, get this position, if they're able to be elected to this position, oh, would they find themselves essentially in the same situation? Absolutely. And look, when the, when the speaker did two things, he cut a bipartisan budget agreement. He cut an agreement on the uh, on the recent continuing resolution, the stopgap funding to fund the government. The next speaker will have to do the same thing by November 17th they will have to pass another funding bill, and that will be done on a bipartisan basis in the House and the Senate. Uh, and so I assume that I would I would assume that these people who are after Kevin McCarthy are going to be after the next guy for the same reason. Although I suspect for some of them, their their anger with Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy was perhaps more personal than anything else. So maybe they'll give the next the next person some slack. But we don't know that. But if, if, if we're to take them at their word that it was all about uh, was spent spending too much money, well, then the next guy is going to have a hard time because that next speaker is going to have to cut probably at least two deals on spending, the short-term bill, a continuing resolution, and, of course, Ukraine funding as part of that, and then the longer-term funding for the government, the 12 appropriations bills that will need to be enacted. Uh, usually they're done before Christmas. Uh, so that's that's also looming. So I, I, I'm not sure how they get through this. Of course, the, and of course, the most immediate question is, how do you elect a new speaker? Who do and, and, and who would be elected? And that's another question that they have to resolve. It's going to take a little bit of time. I know they're talking about having a vote next week, but I could see that date being pushed. Is there anyone that 
you can think of who could sort of shepherd uh, your, your former Republican conference and the Congress in general out of this? Well, look, there, there are a number of names being floated. Patrick McHenry is the, uh, the speaker pro tem or the interim speaker. Uh, he's certainly very capable. Steve Scalise uh, of Louisiana, the uh, majority leader, he's also one who enjoys a lot of support within the conference. Uh, you're hearing other names, you know, Elise Stefanik, her name is out there. Tom Emmer, the, the, the whip of the House, uh, the House Republicans, he is likely, you know, uh, somebody that could be supported. Um, and there are others out there, um, in addition to Stefanik, I think I mentioned, Kevin Hearn, and you're hearing about, you know, another hardliner, Jim Jordan, is also uh, rumored to be uh, considering uh, a run at the speakership. Uh, Tom, Tom Cole of Oklahoma, a guy uh, who's highly respected, chair of the Rules Committee and a senior appropriator. He's another one who uh, some are talking about. So they have plenty of folks there who could probably step up. But again, I don't know who would want the job under these really terrible circumstances. In the case of Steve Scalise, I mean, poor guy's, you know, battling cancer. Uh, and uh, you really want to step into the speaker's job, you know, and it is pressure cooker while you're also dealing with that very serious health issue. So these are all things these, these folks have to consider. You know, you you were watching this um, from a distance, no longer part of part of Congress. I'm sure you still have lots of relationships, though, with people there. Were you hearing from any of your former colleagues? How how are they? What's their take on this? Well, I haven't really talked to any of them since this happened yesterday afternoon. Uh, but I can I, but I think I have a pretty good idea where they are. They're 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 steaming mad at Matt Gates and and uh, a few of those other members, you know, who you know helped bring the House to this 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 point. Um, one thing, too, that we haven't discussed is that if, you know, some Republican cannot get 218 Republican votes for speaker, then, you know, this could force some type of a power sharing arrangement. You know, Hakeem Jeffries, a Democratic uh, minority leader, you know, has a lot of leverage here. Uh, and, you know, if I were Hakeem Jeffries, I'd have out a long list right now about things they want in exchange for votes, either for a speaker or for, uh, you know, or a governing agenda. Uh, and and so I think that's something that, you know, we shouldn't dismiss out of hand, that there should be, that there might have to be a power sharing arrangement, because in order to do anything in this Congress, you know, the, the Republicans, they did need Democrats to help them get the budget agreement and the debt ceiling. They needed them to help just keep the government funded for 45 days. They're going to need their help again in a few weeks. So they might as well just try to have that conversation now with the Democrats once they figure out who their leader is going to be. But then again, some of the folks who... Um, you know who are who would uh, you know who are going to be voting on this uh, the speaker are are not going to be inclined to support any speaker who's inclined to who's to cut a deal with the Democrats. So it's a very complicated situation, but maybe they need to get a, a speaker who can get some bipartisan support. That's a way out. What what what's realistic there? Uh, because this is something that that people talk about. Uh, and you don't know, well, is that something that could actually happen? Um, a, how does it work in terms of the numbers? And then B, how does it work practically in terms of actual governing? Um, well, is this something that you've heard talked about uh, in realistic terms before? And how well, do you think it would work? It's, well, I, I don't know in the modern era that it's ever been done. But we have seen state governments, uh, state legislatures, where there has there have been bipartisan agreements you know, to elect a speaker. You may remember uh, former state representative Denny O'Brien of Northeast Philadelphia. 
he became the he was a Republican Speaker of the House, but elected with Democratic votes. Uh, if you remember that mm -hmm. uh, yep. many years ago, uh, you could also in the state of Texas. Although we also have an example recently in Pennsylvania where things did not things did not go as yeah, well, uh, as both course, sides really thought they were going Brown, to. Yeah, that there was that too. We had just most recently that did not yeah. go well. But Denny O'Brien that that lasted for some time, and then of course we had uh, you know the most recent uh, uh, debacle uh, with uh, Rozzi, and then um, but the state of Texas, uh, they were Republicans had difficulties with their majority. They had a, a very difficult right flank. And uh, and so a lot of the more pragmatic Republicans made a deal with Democrats and they elected a Republican speaker. And so those are the sorts of things that do happen uh, in, at, at the state level. I mean, somebody might want to you know dust off the playbooks in some of these states where there was some success. Now, obviously, Pennsylvania's example most recently was not a great one. But when you know O'Brien was there, that was a different matter. Uh, Although it did keep the doors, it did keep the doors open to a certain to a certain respect. I don't know how much they yeah, actually still, got still, done. Yeah, they still they still are able to operate not very well, but they they did, and uh, there was a lot of acrimony over the whole thing. But the um, but yeah, so I, I think this is a uh, this could we we're in we're in this um, this this new zone here when the mar when the when the margin of control is so small. Uh, and you have a, a group of hardliners out there who are prepared to burn the whole place down uh, and cannot be counted on for just about anything. Uh, that means you have to make accommodations elsewhere. And so I, I think the mistake that McCarthy made was that he kept trying to cut deals with those hardliners. And I feel like he was cutting deals with the wrong guys. He should have been cutting it with the Democrats. <laughs> to... Although Democrats could have cut a deal with him now and they didn't they yeah. didn't do it. And. They didn't, yeah. But you know what? But I never expected the Democrats to save McCarthy. I mean, when when I think what happened there too, McCarthy did a couple things that that antagonized him. He opened up that impeachment inquiry. He opened up the impeachment inquiry, um, just uh, you know, just uh, as a way really to get some of those hardliners to help him vote for the to get him to vote for the uh, funding bill back in uh, September, and that didn't work. But that antagonized the Democrats. Uh, he also, again, he cut the agreement with the Democrats on the uh, and Joe Biden on the uh, debt ceiling and the, the, the budget agreement. And then a few weeks later, walked away from the agreement on the spending side, and and that antagonized them. So there are many of them were saying, "Well, we we cut a deal with him, and you know, we they, they didn't they didn't trust him. Essentially, is what it came down to, and they didn't see any political advantage in saving him." So, but then again, you know, look, this is one of those situations where you can't expect the Democrats to pull your chestnuts out of the fire if you're the Republican majority. I mean, this is a Republican fight. Republicans had to deal with it themselves. And it would have been nice if the Democrats had helped them, but hey, but they committed an act of politics. You know, well, you know welcome to Washington. Well, and is there political is there the political will now to explore what you're talking about? Because there would be some risk on both sides politically, sure. especially um, you know, at your your more maybe at your more progressive wing of the Democrats say we're not going to go with it. Uh, your more conservative wing of the Republican Party says we're not going to go with it. And is there the political will to say, well, we're going to just do this thing in the middle, even if it leaves out some of our members who don't like it? Um, do you think that political will, will is there on either side? Well, there, look, there's a lot of political calculating going on because the Democrats you know, desperately want to win the House majority back. And they, they probably want to see if they were to enter into some kind of agreement with Republicans, how would this affect their ability to win the uh, the mid 
the election in 2024. So that's that's certainly uh, a consideration. Uh, and there are Republicans too, you know, who if they enter into a bipartisan agreement, you know, they they, they might be putting their own careers on the line uh, and subjecting themselves to uh, primary pressures that they would not be able to withstand. So there's a lot of risk here for members. I mean, this could end political careers. I mean, I think they understand that. But at some point, uh, enough of them are going to have to do what's in the best interests of the country. You know, But somebody like a Brian Fitzpatrick, for example, could be a very good, uh, our key player here in, in the resolution, whatever it is. Uh, we, we're going to need people like him and some others who have the capacity to you know, work both sides of the aisle you know, to get to a better place. Because right now, when you say when you say key player, do you mean a behind the scenes player or uh, as a potential candidate for speaker? Well, either behind the scenes, or I could see if if you were going to try to find a Republican who would be acceptable to the Democrats, they they want they're going to want somebody who's not affiliated with a or associated with that that hardline element, and that's somebody like Brian Fitzpatrick, you know, who was seen as a, a pragmatic, reasonable member. Uh, so I think that would be somebody that, you know, if the Democrats are going to be able to support anybody, it'd be somebody like him. I'm not saying that Congressman Fitzpatrick would want this job. I'm just saying, but if I were looking for somebody who would fit the bill, that could be a bridge between the two sides. He would be a logical choice. Um, and so, and, uh, and and probably on my view, a good one. Now, that said, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of members are still, th th what's happening in Washington right now, these guys are they're still trying to figure this out among themselves about you know how to how to move forward. I, I think they're, they're they're trying to assess their options or their first priority probably is to elect a speaker with Republican votes. But that may not prove to be so easy, at least not in a week. <laughs> and maybe, like I said, it's going to take a while. You may recall when John Boehner resigned and then Kevin McCarthy stepped up originally in 2015 and he was taken down by the hardliners. And then Paul Ryan very reluctantly uh, stepped into the breach to become speaker. He didn't want to do it, but he did, and he was able to secure the votes. But had he not done that, I don't know who could have gotten 218 back then. Um, and so, and I feel like we're in a similar, in a similar moment uh, to when Boehner, uh, when, to when Boehner left, uh, and that's similar to McCarthy. Now, Boehner obviously left on his own accord, and McCarthy, you know, was ejected. Uh, but uh, so, like I said, stay tuned. This is like, we're, this is so unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this before. A speaker has never been defrocked like this. Uh, and and so there's still a lot of raw raw feelings and anger. And I think that's why uh, McHenry sent them home because <laughs> you know that, that, that capital can be like a pressure cooker at times. And they, I think he had to let the steam out. And so get them out of the building for a little bit. And then, and then they'll have to resume this fight next week. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, Congressman, as you know, you don't have to be a member of Congress to be Speaker of the House. Would you want the job? <laughs> well, I have no desire, but but I'm sure there are a lot of people on the outside you could talk to right now about this. Uh, it, it, look, in somebody, it, it'd have to be somebody who'd be willing to take on the job for maybe just uh, you know what's about a little over a year, because there's going to be an election, and then you know the, the chamber could flip. It may or may not flip. I really don't know how it's going to play out. Uh, but the uh, uh, but maybe you need a speaker who can just kind of take us through the end of the session. And that's where this whole notion of a, a non-member speaker becomes a little interesting. That hasn't been done either, uh, but uh, there's always a first time. Former Congressman Charlie Dent, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Enjoy talking to you. Take care.
Take care. You heard the former congressman there mention Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick from Bucks County. Well, after that interview, I reached out to Congressman Fitzpatrick to ask if he has a comment and if he's considering running for speaker. Well, he told me that his answer is the same that he gave to House leadership back in January when he was asked. He says that he prefers to represent his hometown in Bucks County and that it is the first and only office he'll ever run for. You can find more Battleground Politics on our website. Just go to NBC10.com slash Battleground Politics. You can also find episodes on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts.